Are any of you all experiencing cabin fever? It's like you've been inside so long you're ready to get out. And fortunately for us, really honestly, the weather's not been great as far as being warm. And so we still sort of felt okay being inside, but pretty soon it's going to get hot. In fact, I think next week it's going to get hot and and we're going to want to be outside. And I remember when I was in college, one of the things that would I would experience every spring You've been going to class all year, all winter, and now all of a sudden it's springtime and you're sitting in a class and you look outside and there are trees and they're turning green and the sky is blue and you have this this, uh, overwhelming um, sense that you needed to be out there. And so I remember every every spring, we uh, my buddies and me, we would go to the lake or we'd have a little cookout or we'd play wiffle ball or something because... There would be a day where we would just sort of skip class and go be outside, which reminds me of a story. Uh, there were these four guys, and they were in uh, chemistry class together. They were doing great, by the way. And this was in college, and they, were, they all had A's, and they knew they were doing good, and it was finals time. And so they decided they were going to take a little risk, and they were going to go camping the weekend before the final, which was on a Monday morning. And they go out on the weekend, and they camp out up in the mountains, and and unfortunately, they, they didn't set an alarm, and, and, or they slept through it, whatever, and they miss their exam. So all four of them walk into the professor's office, and they said, you know, Prof, we, we're sorry we missed this, but we had a flat tire. We were coming back from camping. We had a flat tire. and So, so they, they had a little white lie there. And so the professor was like, okay, I will con- consent to give you the test tomorrow. Come in tomorrow morning, same time, and we'll take the test. And so all four guys show up the next morning, and the professor gives them their tests, and he sends them to different rooms. And there was only one question on the test when they open up their answer sheets. And the question was, which tire? And the Bible tells us, beware, your sins will find you out. And I used to love taking tests when I got to college. In high school, not so much. I wasn't a great student in high school. But when uh, I started paying for it, I got more serious. And I would uh, enter examinations like I, I was somebody. So I would, my, my strategy was this. I would put on a, a shirt and tie, and I would dress up. And my notion was, if you look smart, you are smart. And so I'd go in there, and I, I would study hard. And my strategy on studying was always, you know, you, you cram and cram and cram and cram, and you stay up all night. And, and if you could find somebody in your class to be friends with and compete with, that always helped me a little bit because I'm kind of competitive. And I, I used to always uh, love to take tests because I, I felt like I, I could do well on those. The tests I didn't love so much were pop quizzes. I hated pop quizzes. I think pop quizzes are from Satan. There's never really anything in Scripture about a pop quiz. I, I hated pop quizzes because... I didn't have a chance to prepare. You know, I was like, oh my word. And the professor would come in and he would say, number your paper from 1 to 10. And I would hate that. And we see Jesus today, he's going to give his disciples kind of a pop quiz. So I I have this really cool slide of Jesus and he's about to give a pop quiz. And I just kind of liked it. It's kind of fun. Jesus taught with questions a lot. It's kind of a rabbinic strategy when they were teaching they would ask questions and so you see it with Jesus a lot Uh, you remember there was a guy that came and he said "Uh, teacher how do I gain eternal life and and instead of Jesus just answering the question Jesus said well what does the scripture say how do you read that and so the notion was in in asking a question you're trying to get 
somebody to think. Uh, don't just, you, you ask the question and I'm going to give you the answer. How about you ask the question and I, I give you another question that will help you think. Um, questions are a great, great way to teach. Uh, when I was teaching my girls to drive, and pretty soon Elise is going to be learning how to drive. She's not quite there, but we still kind of train even now. And the way I would do that with my kids would be, I would say something like, okay, here's the situation. We're driving, and they're in the car with me. They're in the front seat with me. And I would say, okay, what am I looking at right now? Uh, what's happening up there that I need to notice? Um, why did I make that turn? Why did I honk at that jerk? Why, why did I do these things? Tell me, you tell me why I did that. And it helped them to think. And so Jesus asks these questions because he wants his disciples to think. And a test by very nature is to see how much you've learned. And so Jesus offers this pop quiz today. Before we get to the questions, though, let's lay out the background just a little bit. Jesus has these disciples, and he sends them on a mission trip. Look at Luke 9. That's where we're going to be today, Luke 9. One day Jesus called together his 12 disciples, and he gave them power and authority to cast out all demons and to heal all diseases. And then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So they began their circuit of, of the villages, preaching the good news and healing the sick. And you can imagine that uh, this sort of activity got a lot of notice. In fact, really, really important people began to notice. So let's go on. When Herod Antipas, and time out just for a second. This was Herod, the King Herod's son, Herod Antipas. Also very powerful, kind of ruled a region, a region called Judea. And uh, when Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee, uh, that's Gal Galilee's this region in Judea, heard about everything Jesus was doing, he was puzzled. Some were saying that John the Baptist had been raised from the dead. Others thought Jesus was Elijah or one of the other prophets, risen from the dead. I beheaded John, Herod said. So who is this man about whom I hear such stories? And he kept trying to see him. It's really an interesting uh, thing to say. He kept trying to see him. You remember what his dad wanted to do when Jesus was born? He, he told the wise men, you recall, uh, hey, I, I, come back and tell me where he is so I might go worship him too. Well, he really didn't want to worship him too. He wanted to eliminate the competition. And I suspect it's the same thing for Herod's son here, Antipas. He probably wanted to eliminate the competition. So, Jesus is popular. Um, they are doing great things in the community. They're out there healing the sick. Uh, demon possession, uh, people are being freed from that oppression. And so the word is out that Jesus is doing great things. Jesus and his disciples are making uh, great inroads into the community. And this is when Jesus asks the first question. He says, who do people say that I am? Look at uh, verse 18. One day Jesus left the crowds to pray alone. Only his disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do people say that I am. Now, this isn't like a, a political pollster trying to figure out where do you, you know, where he stands in the in in the uh, comparison to other people. Really, Jesus more than anybody knows the only opinion that really matters is God's opinion of us. And so he wasn't asking because he was concerned. He was just wanting them to think because this is why you ask a question. Great rabbis knew the secret to getting people 
to learn is to get them to think. And he also knew there were some, there were some erroneous thoughts out there about him. So Jesus asks this question in a town called Caesarea Philippi. Sort of like Raleigh-Durham, kind of has a double name. And this was a very prominent town. It's not today, by the way, but it was a very prominent town in Jesus' day. Um, it was sort of a, a capital of that region. Uh, there, were, there, were, uh, there was a big military base there. The Roman, Roman army had a military base there. It was also very worldly. There were a lot of temples to other gods. And so from best I can tell, I, I'm reading a little bit about this, there were 14 temples to Baal, which is a false god. There was a temple to the Caesar um, to engage in trade. You had to worship Caesar. That was very uncomfortable, obviously, for people who believe there's only one God and it's not the Caesar. There was even a cave in that region that was believed to be the birthplace of the god Pan. And I, don't, you, I didn't want to put the picture up because the picture of Pan, he, it's just creepy. Um, but you've probably seen this image. Pan is kind of half man and he has horns and he's got uh, legs like uh, goat legs and and he's always playing a little flute. I mean, it's just kind of weird, and it's, it's just, a, I, didn't, I don't like the picture very much. But it's in this region where there's lots of religious stuff going on that Jesus asks the question, who do people say that I am? Now, here's their response. Uh, some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. This is exactly what uh, Herod Antipas had been hearing, by the way. Some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Others say you are one of the other ancient prophets risen from the dead. Now they were in the ballpark. Was Jesus a prophet like the other prophets? Well, yeah, he was a prophet. Uh, he, he was more than that. Was he like John the Baptist? Well, yes, he was like John the Baptist. In fact, John the Baptist's message was repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. You see it over and over. John's kind of that's his go-to line. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus's very first thing he ever says was repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. He's just he's like uh, John the Baptist. And so they're giving right answers. They're, uh, I, I, I kind of coined a term, they're right-ish. They're right, but there's more. That's like saying, this shirt is green. Well, this shirt is green, but it's not just green. There's some blue in there. You could say, this shirt is blue. Well, yeah, it's blue, but there's some green in there. It, it's right-ish. There, there's some rightness to it. And today, if you were to ask people, who, who is Jesus? They would say, some people would say, he's a great philosopher. He, he was a, a, this outstanding moral teacher. There are some who would say, uh, he's a phony. Uh, he didn't exist at all. In fact, really interesting, George Barna did some research on this and found that 92%, this is back in 2015, 92% of Americans believe that Jesus lived, but only 56% believe that Jesus was God. And really interesting to me, the more money you make, the less likely that you are to want to follow Jesus or to follow Jesus. Really interesting. In fact, do you remember when Jesus said, it is difficult for the rich to come into the kingdom of heaven? I think a lot of that has to do with, if I have a lot of money, I don't feel like I have to depend on God. I can depend on my wealth. So Jesus, always right. Anyway, uh, here's what we want to note. Nearly everyone has an opinion of who Jesus is. Nearly everyone. Uh, your friends have an opinion of who Jesus is. Your 
your employees have a, an opinion of who Jesus is. Your family has an opinion of who Jesus is. Your coworkers have an opinion of who Jesus is. Your teachers have an opinion of who Jesus is. And here's the, the truth of the matter is not all opinions are equal. There are some people that believe that Jesus is sort of like a, a first responder. Um, I get in trouble and then I call to him. He, he's like 911. I get in trouble, I call to him, and he comes and he saves the day. Now, that's right-ish. Can Jesus save us when we call to him? Absolutely. Does he always? Not always. Because sometimes it's not best for us. So he doesn't always do that. They're right-ish. Some people believe that Jesus is kind of like a safety net. They're going to kind of they're going to walk this tightrope, but they know if they fall or at least they think if they fall, Jesus will be there to catch them. Can Jesus catch us when we fall? Absolutely. Does he do it every time? No, not if it's not best for us. Some people believe that Jesus is this guarantor of prosperity. Uh, if I ask, he must give. Uh, I'm supposed to be healthy, wealthy, and wise and prosperous. Can Jesus prosperous? Absolutely. Does he always prosperous? He does not. He, he, he can. He just doesn't always do that. That answer is right-ish. And there are a lot of right-ish answers out there. Can he catch us? Yes. Can he deliver us? Yes. Can he prosper us? Yes. The one thing that Jesus will always do is forgive us. I mean, let me throw that one in just sort of as a bonus. The Bible tells us that if we will confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. That one is kind of a guarantee. But Jesus is sort of establishing with the first question, who do people say that I am, this first question, Jesus is establishing a baseline. Uh, kind of, hey, there are right-ish answers out there. There are some people who kind of know about us, but they really don't know us. They, they know about us. They know some things about us. They have some right ideas that are they're right as far as they go. But they're not right. They're right-ish. Now, how do you get from right-ish to right? Well, you get to know the person. Um, if someone were to say to me, uh, we heard your wife Miriam be very rude to somebody, I would say to myself, no. Uh, I have never personally experienced Miriam being rude with anybody. She's, she's never... Uh, butted into a conversation. I've just never seen it. If somebody were to say to me, well, your wife was yelling, it's like, mm, nope, I've never seen her yell. My, my, my wife, that's just not her character. The best description of my wife ever given to me was, uh, I had a lady in one of my churches, and she said, your wife is elegance. And I think that's just a great description for Miriam. I've been around her for over 30 years. We're going to celebrate our 30th anniversary in June. I've known her a long time. And you can tell me, Something, and, and I'll know mostly if it's true or not because I know her. I know her. And so Jesus in these questions, this first question, who do people say that I am, was trying to establish the idea, that kind of a baseline, that, hey, there are some, some false notions out there around who I am. And the first question sort of sets up the second question, which we find right here. Who do you say I am? Then he asked them, who do, who do you say I am? This is a really important question. There's some questions you don't want to answer, honestly. If your wife asks you, do, do these pants make me look hippie? That's a question you really don't want to answer, man. That's really, you don't want to go there. The answer, if you 
care to know this, men? Uh, if your wife says, do these pants make me look hippie? The answer is, honey, I didn't even know you had hips. So that's the right answer. There are questions that you just really don't want to answer. When the police officer comes up to your car window and he says, do you know why I stopped you? That's not a question you really want to answer. I'm trying to think through what thing did I do. Uh, last, um, uh, last week, uh, this happened. This is my daughter Mallory. It's her new husband, Jefferson. Uh, they got married in Michigan. And while we were in Michigan, I mean, I need to confess something to you. Um, I smuggled some toilet paper in from Michigan uh, to South Carolina, just so you know. I, I've felt guilty about it. Now I feel unburdened. Thank you for letting me unburden myself with that. Uh, we snuck it in. I, I know it was illegal because when I bought it, I had a mask on. And so I, I know I just really feel bad about it. So um, really, really bad about all of that. Uh, but anyway, let's go, let's go back to our, uh, what we're talking about today. When Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? It is the most relevant question you'll ever be asked. And sometime in your life, you're going to have to answer it. Who do you say Jesus is? That is the most pertinent important question that you're ever going to answer. And, and so Simon Peter was the first one to raise his hand, and he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, we say Jesus Christ. Some people believe that Christ is Jesus' last name. It's a title. Uh, it means you're the one that we've expected. Okay, so Israel is expecting a deliverer, a Messiah, a Christ, somebody to come in and take over. They are occupied by the Romans and they're really looking for a Messiah who is going to sort of reverse things, right? He's going to make things right. And, and Peter, what's really interesting about this, Peter in this answer is right-ish. Yeah, Jesus is the Christ, but it depends on what you think the Christ is going to do. So this is what we find Jesus saying. Jesus warned his disciples not to tell anyone who he was. And that always seems strange to me until you understand why he would do that. Jesus is the Messiah. He just wasn't the Messiah the way they thought the Messiah was going to be. You want to know why Herod Antipas wanted to see Jesus? It was because he thought he was the Messiah too. He was going to come and, and going to kick the Romans out, and he was afraid of that. Just like David had done in times of old, he was probably fearful that Jesus was going to raise up a rebellion as a king and drive everybody out. And so... Peter has some information. He just doesn't have all the information. He's right-ish. And so Jesus is like, no, 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 you can't tell everybody I'm the Messiah until you understand what kind of Messiah I'm going to be. It's really important. You can't tell uh, everybody that I'm the Messiah until you understand what I'm going to do as a Messiah. Yeah, I'm the Messiah, but not the way you think I'm going to be the Messiah. So this is what Jesus does. He explains it to them. Uh, the Son of Man, he's referring to himself. By the way, that's a title that's used 81 times in the New Testament. It harkens back to the book of Daniel in the Old Testament where uh, the Son of Man, it means that, God, uh, that Jesus is unique. He's, he's God and He's man. The only, only uh, time this ever happened in the history of the world, He's God and He's man. And so He's identifying with being one of us. And He's saying the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things. He'll be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the religious law, all the leaders of the land. He will be killed, but on the third day he will be raised from the dead. The Messiah that you're looking for, that's gonna, uh, or that you think is coming, isn't what you think. You're right, 
ish. You're using the right word. You just don't have an understanding of what that means. And so Jesus explains um, he would suffer uh, terrible things. He'd be rejected by the leaders. He'd be killed. And on the third day, he would rise again. They, they were right. They just weren't right completely. And so Jesus wanted them to have this aha moment. What's really, really interesting to me, um, the Bible in the Old Testament talks about the Messiah as the suffering servant. It's that language is used in Isaiah. Like, it's fairly clear, but everybody was missing it. And so Jesus wanted to clarify. He wanted them to have this aha moment. Like, hey, oh, the Messiah is going to be different than what we think. And what's really kind of funny to me is these guys are not quick learners. Look what happens. All right. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Those are the descriptions of Jesus' life. And then you have Acts. The book of Acts talks about the origination of the church and how things started. And we find ourselves, Jesus is resurrected, and we find ourselves in Acts. The church is about to be born. And look at the question that the apostles asked Jesus. When the apostles were with him, they kept asking, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Are you going to be the Messiah that we've always thought you were going to be? It, I just find that ironic. Jesus told them what he was going to do, and then he did it, and they still, even after the resurrection, are wondering if he's going to restore the kingdom. You want to know why they did this? It's because from the time they were little baby boys and little baby girls, they, were, they heard the story of the Messiah who was going to come. And this was in their mind. And Jesus had to change the way they thought. And for us sometimes, we get a notion in our minds about how Jesus is or what he's supposed to do. And sometimes it takes us a while to, to realize that Jesus isn't what we thought he was and, and isn't going to behave the way uh, we thought he behaved. That's why we have to get... To know him. And so Jesus, I love his patience. He is so patient. Look at how he responds. You, this is the tone I imagine him taking. Now, boys, the Father has the authority to set those dates and times, and that's not for you to know. But you, now, this, this is for y'all. He's saying, listen, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Stop worrying about kingdoms and all that stuff. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. Look, boys, it's, not, it's still not going to be like you thought it was going to be. Yeah, you're thinking, I ticked off those bullet points, and now it's going to be a kingdom. It's not that kind of kingdom. It's not a military kingdom. And sometimes we get in our minds that Jesus has got to be a certain way. And it really isn't that way. And sometimes we need to have maybe an aha moment where we go, hmm, that's not what I, I've thought about him. Uh, let, let me tell you a little story. The headline caught my eye, and I'm going to read you the, the details. The headline was, California mom crushed to learn the plant she watered for two years is fake. <laughs> it gets better. Uh, her name is Kaylee Wilkes. She had a little succulent plant that she watered religiously. And this is what she says. I was so proud of this plant. It was full, beautiful coloring, just an overall perfect plant. Well, yeah, it's plastic. Um, 
I had a watering plan for it. If anyone else tried to water my succulent, I would get so defensive because I just wanted to keep good care of it. I loved that little plant. Then Wilkes decided it was ready to be transplanted, to go to the next level, into a larger pot. But she was shocked to find that the, plast- that the plant was plastic. I put so much love into this plant, she said. I washed its leaves. I tried my hardest to keep it looking its best. And it's completely plastic. How did I not know this? I pull it from its container, the, the container it's sitting in, and I found styrofoam with sand glued to the top. Apparently, uh, the fact that the water really, really didn't go into the plant didn't clue her. Uh, from what I understand, however, succulent plants don't use a lot of water. Can you imagine how foolish she felt? She thought one way, but it was totally something else. Jesus today wants us to think. Who do you say that I am? Now, i got good news. Eventually, the boys start to get it. Look at what uh, Peter says uh, at the end. He goes from right-ish to right. There is salvation in no one else. This isn't about a government. This isn't about military. This isn't about material possessions. This is about the kingdom of God. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. From Acts 1, where they're still not getting it, to Acts 4, where they're finally getting it, eventually it came clear to them. And I hope eventually it comes clear to you. Maybe you're one of those people that have a wrong notion about Jesus. Maybe you're thinking, okay, he's always going to save me. He's going to be my rescuer. He's a he can, and, and us calling to him certainly makes sense. But we have to understand, the kingdom of God is his, and we're here working for him, and it's not the other way around. So, as Jesus did, let's end today with a question. Who do you say Jesus is? Let's pray. Father, uh, it's a great question, and we're so thankful that you've Allowed us to think for ourselves. Help us to think well. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.